Good morning, Southside. By the Lord's grace, this time next week, we will be able to gather in this building. And I pray that you are looking forward to it. I know that I am and many others are. It has been a joy to see how the Lord has worked in these past couple of months, but it will be a joy to gather again. And we will be able to sit under the preaching of this word and to sing songs together. I think that may be what I'm looking forward to most is being able to sing songs alongside of you. Whether behind a mask or whether six feet away from you, we still want to sing praises to our Lord. But in the meantime, we are still tied to his word. So if you will grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 8 to 14. If you will read along with me in these few verses, Romans chapter 13, starting verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we know that just by reading your word, it has power. Power to shape our hearts and shape our minds. And we ask that by your spirit and by the grace administered to us through the blood of Jesus, that we might be shaped by this word. That we might be shaped in our love, that we might be shaped in our, in our faith and in our hope. So that we might be more like Christ because of our time spent meditating on this word this morning. We pray this for our good and Jesus' sake. Amen. So we begin this section tonight like looking at a bookend. These two bookends, verse 8 and actually verse 9 of chapter 12, bookend this section of what marks the Christian life. The marks of the Christian life are held up by this idea that we are marked chiefly by love. He begins these exhortations with love and ends them with love because this is the binding element of the Christian. Love for God and love for neighbor. If you're reading along with our F260 reading plan, then you read Mark 12 this week, which says this in verse 28. Which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, this marks the Christian life, love for God and love for neighbor. And so he begins by saying, owe no one anything except love each other. Now, this is not a prohibition from ever having any kind of debt, but rather it is a point of clarity. For Christians, for you and I, our obligation is one of love. Pay your debts, yes, but realize that the debt of love is never paid. Origen, a second century church father, put it this way, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love, a debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. Why do we love? Well, Paul tells us it fulfills the law. Paul reminds us of the commandments that Yahweh gave to Moses. He says, for the commandments are, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and then he goes on to say, and any other commandment. But then he goes on to quote Leviticus 19, 18. The summary of these verses is to love your neighbor as yourself. This was true for the Israelites, this is true for us. What Paul is making clear from the get-go is that the law has always been about leading God's people to love him and to love others. See, to be in perfect step with the law is not primarily about being in complete compliance with the law's demands, but rather exhibiting perfect love as the law intends. Now, I want to make a brief but important distinction concerning what it means for us to fulfill the law. We read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and in other places, that Jesus states that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we've already seen in Romans how righteousness is the requirement of the law. Obedience, righteousness before God. And in Christ's fulfilling of the law, he does indeed complete that righteous requirement. He completes it by obeying the law's demands, obeying the letter of the law, but also by satisfying the law's condemnation for sin that rested upon our heads. And in the gospel, this righteousness of Jesus fulfilling the law is then granted to us, imputed to us by faith that, Romans 8, 4, the righteous requirement of the law might then be fulfilled in us. Jesus satisfies the law's demands and then gives us his righteousness. And then we're called to then, as we see in our passage, fulfill the law. But our fulfillment is clearly not in the same manner as Christ's. We confess this regularly at Southside. We sing Rock of Ages, and it says this, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. So what does it mean for us to fulfill the law? Rather, we by the Spirit complete the law's intentions. Where is the law aiming at is where we should aim as well. The natural outworking of the law within the covenant community is simply this, the expression of love. While Christ truly is the end of the law, love is the intention of the law. 
We see this in other passages like Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, the freedom that we have in Christ. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christ frees us from the law so that we may live in accordance with the law, which is to love our neighbor. And Paul illustrates this by including these list of commandments that we just read. Yet he does not claim this to be an exhaustive list. He even goes on to say, and any other commandment. And I think Paul does this intentionally. In fact, one commentator puts it this way. Love cannot be exhausted by commandments, but it does not violate them either. Commandments do not capture the whole of love or even the essence of love, but they do encapsulate a particular dimension of love. Love is like a river that replenishes the human spirit, but moral norms or commandments provide boundaries so that the river is not dispersed abroad, but retains its strength power love is more than keeping the commandments but it is not less than keeping them so we have to ask the question what does love do if love is our aim in accordance with the law what does love do well Paul tells us that love does no wrong to a neighbor we see that verse 10 love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. It says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. We see the negative aspect. Yet I think the positive, the flip side is also true. Love does not just avoid harming a neighbor, love does good for a neighbor. Now we recently spent time thinking about love in chapter 12 and so I won't rehash everything we covered there. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon on verses 9 and 11 or 9 through 11 on showing Christ-centered love in light of the gospel. But I do want to make mention of three ways that we can respond to our text today. The first of which is this. We should look for love. Now, I don't mean look for love like they do in the movies or in the rom-coms. I mean look for expressions of love that are coming out of your own heart and in the heart of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we ought not be surprised when love crops up in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we are known as Christ's church because of our love for one another. So to be truly Christians, to belong to Christ, is to truly express love. This is not like, and this attitude of looking for love and pointing it out is not like finding the highlights magazine at the doctor's office, of picking up the magazine, of doing, of doing the, the search on the pictures, of trying to find the hidden images, and then closing the magazine and setting it down and looking for the next one. No, when we look for love within the community of Christ, when we look for love within our own hearts, it is like digging for gold. And we rejoice simply at the glimmer of it on the ground. When you see love in your own life, in your children's life, in the life of our church, celebrate, rejoice, and praise God 
because he is glorified when we express love. Celebrate love, look for love. Secondly, we ought to practice love. Things that are not practiced or exercised eventually atrophy. Let this not be true of our love, Christian. Set out each day praying for the Spirit's help that you would express love in a real and genuine way with your spouse, with your coworker, with your children, or maybe even your actual neighbor. Ask yourself, how can I show one of these individuals true, genuine love, self-sacrificial love, love that is for their good and for their benefit? So we look for love, we practice love, and thirdly, find your neighbor. Paul makes clear that we are to love our neighbor and we see throughout the scriptures that this title is not reserved solely for the person living next door. Unfortunately, in our context, in our culture, we have taken the idea of our proverbial nature to such a degree that we neglect our actual neighbors. I'm curious, do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know what their occupation is? Do you know their families, their hobbies? Do you know your neighbor's spiritual state? The person who lives next door to you, do you know where they stand before God? Are there ways that you can interact with those individuals to love them as yourself? This is the commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's no question that we love ourselves, right? Do we love our neighbor in a similar fashion? Feel free right now to pause this video and speak with those in your household right now about how you can love your neighbors, about how you can strategize to get to know them, to interact with them. Whether that's playing in the front yard or taking walks in your neighborhood or hosting a movie night or hosting your neighbors for a dinner, get to know your neighbors. Go ahead, talk about it right now. Pause it, I'll wait. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be looking for love. We ought to be practicing love and we ought to be finding and seeking out our neighbors. And this moves us into the second section, starting in verse 11. Let's read this section briefly. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now this transitions to a new section. And the ESV says besides this, but I think a more clear translation is one like found in the NIV. It says, and do this. See, Paul is admonishing his audience into action. And while it seems connected with the previous verses to some extent, there seems to be greater evidence that this includes everything in chapters 12 and 13. So when he says, and do this, he means walk like a Christian. 
Express these marks. Pursue these marks. Experience these marks. Nurture these marks. Extend and grow in these marks of the Christian community. And so we are to do, but what fuels are doing? He tells us, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Brothers and sisters, the day is at hand. The sun is rising. Let us not sleep as though it is still night, but let us rise with the dawn, letting the rays of the sun dispel the deeds of the night that we may walk in the light. Friends, our obedience to our Lord is carried along because we remember that our Lord will not tarry. His second sentence here, for, the salva- for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. Do you realize this is a verse that becomes truer every day? Every day that you wake up, this verse becomes more true. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The day is nearer. And this ought to provide hope. Because Christian, your fight of sin will not last. A day is coming when your wilting flesh will no longer revolt against you. A day is coming where you will no longer need to avoid a virus. A day is coming where you will no longer need to fight the good fight of faith because it will give way to sight. Paul does not use this metaphor lightly. Because even in the fabric of the created order, God has instituted that every day we would be reminded, the night does not last, the sun indeed will rise. And with the return of Christ firmly planted in the mind of Paul and in our mind as the reader, Paul commends the church to present their bodies as living sacrifices. By first, Romans 1 to 11 the finished work of Christ. Christ has done his duty as our sacrifice, as our redeemer. And so Paul commends us to do, to present our bodies as sacrifice because of what Christ has done, but also because Christ will return. For a moment, think of an airplane or a glider. Even with all the propulsion that science or gravity can muster, an airplane cannot fly without two wings. When one wing is compromised, the plane begins to descend. So like wings are to a plane, so are these two truths to the Christian life. On one side, we have the realities that Christ's work has been accomplished. He has died the death. He has risen to life and has ascended toward the Father so that he might sit and rule. But one day he will return as the conquering king to put all things under his footstool. And these two realities give us lift as the Spirit propels us onward. The Christian creed as we walk is simply this. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. So as we look to his coming, as we look to the day dawning, we cast off 
the works of darkness and we put on the armor of light. The victory of the war has certainly been won, but we still find ourselves in the midst of the battle. Paul, throughout his letters, chooses to, do, to use military language to describe the Christian life. Probably most well-known is Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. See, Paul lists the works of darkness, these orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sexuality, quarreling, and jealousy. And he mentions these because like any other sin, they flourish in darkness and secrecy. Sin that, that's roots finds its way into the dark recesses of our hearts and sets up shop. See, sin likes the dark because it cowers in the light, because the light is the sign of its destruction. And so, friend, this morning, there is hope for you no matter how entrenched you may feel in the fight, because the light is coming. Romans chapter 6, flip back there with me real briefly. Starting in verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God who though, who, as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Brothers and sisters, we can fight sin because the light has dawned and it will surely come more. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Sin cowers when the light is present. So brothers and sisters, let us fight sin. And let's get real practical here. How do we arm ourselves for this fight? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to get real. Part of bringing our fight of sin into the light is getting real with what sin is and what sin does. In our culture, we don't like to talk about sin. But even when we do, we couch our language with such innocuous and tame words that we are not going to offend someone or that we might not even prick our own conscience. So then we must look to the scriptures to illuminate the reality and nature of sin. And we should name it as such. We should use Bible words to describe the lusts of our hearts. Sometimes we blush at merely the thought of our sins. 
but even more when we call them by their real name. Do not call it aggravation. Call it anger. Do not call it a slip up. Call it lust. Do not call it a habit. Call it idolatry. If we are going to fight sin, we must know what sin is. And if we're going to know what sin is, we must know our Bibles. And even more so, we must hide it in our hearts. Psalm 119, an often cited yet rarely practiced passage. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Brothers and sisters, are we memorizing scripture? Are we storing the word of God in our hearts so that we might fight sin? William Gurnell, a 17th century pastor, has some wisdom for us in this area specifically. He commends us, as does this psalm, to hide the word of God in our hearts for our defense against the temptations to sin. And he gives us several reasons, but I just want to summarize a couple for you. One, the word of God is a divine authority, meaning that the word shapes our conscience because it is what we will be judged against on the last day. The word of God is a divine authority. Secondly, the word of God is a faithful monitor. It tells us plainly our faults, but it also points clearly to the enemy that is hunting for our souls. This fight may be primarily an internal fight, but it is not to the exclusion of external realities. That we live in a fallen world and we have a real adversary And the Bible is faithful to point out the problem inside as well as the dangers outside. It is a faithful monitor. Third, and maybe most importantly, it is the sweetest comforter. And his wording on this is too rich not to just read. This is a lengthy quote, but I think it's so helpful. When the poor soul is distressed with guilt and conflicted with the terrors of divine wrath for his sins... Oh, what miserable comforters then are these world's pleasures and treasures. They are no more help than he who standing upon the shore sees his friend drowning in the sea, but knows not how to reach any help to him. It is the word alone that can walk upon those waters and come to the soul's relief. This is able to restore the soul and buoy it up from the bottom of the sea of despair. And that word says, be of good cheer. Repent of your folly and speedily return to your God in Christ Jesus. And there shall be no loss of your life. There is forgiveness with the Lord. The word is the sweetest comforter. But not only must we get real in our fight with sin, we must get radical. Paul says in here, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Friend, we often believe that we can passively avoid sin. But the devil and our own desires are far too cunning and powerful Rest assured, if we are not swimming to the shore, the current is certainly pulling us back out to sea. 
So swim. Swim to shore. Swim to safety because otherwise it is certain death. We must radically fight sin. We must fight it at the root and fight it with ferocity and vigor. So I ask you this morning, what are ways that you need to ramp up your fight against sin? Should you be seeking help and accountability to fight the sin of gluttony? Should you be tossing your smartphone to fight the sin of pornography? Should you be quitting your job to fight the sin of love of money? Should you be deleting your social media to fight the sin of coveting? Should you be starting a new habit or hobby to fight the sin of laziness? Should you be confessing your business dealings to fight the sin of stealing? Brothers and sisters, we must consider steps like these because we must be radical with our fight, fight against sin and for the fight for our own soul's sake. But third, we get repenting. So take heart, Christian. Repentance can be had. A true turning from sin and turning to Christ can happen by the Spirit. Paul commissions us to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He would not tell us this if it weren't not possible because of the gospel. We make no provision for the flesh. Instead, we put on Christ. So by the grace of Christ, repent toward the ways of Christ. And this repentance is fueled by those two wonderful realities that we've talked about. Our faith in the finished work of Christ and our hope for the imminent return of Christ. We place our faith in him risen and we place our hope in his return. So then let us foster this faith. Let us foster this hope as we put on Christ. Again, Gurnell is so helpful in these areas as he exposits upon the armor of God. He gives us a few ways to foster this faith and hope. And they might seem simple, yet they are so true and profound. We foster faith and hope by dwelling on what begets our faith and hope, which is the living word of God. We cannot have faith and we cannot have hope without God's revelation. So let us dwell on what gives us faith and hope. Secondly, we mind the conscience. Sin, more than anything else, ravages a person's faith and a person's hope. So mind your conscience. Mind how the Spirit is leading you and fight sin for the preservation of your faith. And third, exercise your faith. The Christian who regularly and deliberately exercises their faith, particularly in prayer, is the Christian who grows in faith and hope. So exercise your faith and hope by praying. Maybe you're watching this today and you have not rested your soul upon Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. I wonder what you think of this language of repentance. For those of us who are Christians, we have not moved beyond it. At least not yet, not until Christ returns. But if you're not a Christian, my appeal to you this morning is the same as the appeal to the Christians who are listening. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ. This is where the Christian life starts and this is how the Christian life walks until Christ returns. And we walk with this great hope for the day that will come when Christ will return. But if you have not trusted Christ, then this day that we have that is our hope 
is a day of great dread for you. It will be a day where all your deeds will be laid before you and you will receive judgment for your deeds. But take heart, friend. Repentance can be had for you as well. Peter tells us that the Lord delays his return so that sinners would have opportunity to repent. Do not delay because the day is coming. And all of this, we've heard lots of things we ought to do, but we must not forget that this is directly tied to the work that Christ has accomplished. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great hope that we have that your son will return. Let us be found faithful until then. Let us see the rays of light that come with the dawning of the sun and let us cast off the works of the night. Let us forsake the ways of this world. Let us forsake our sin and let us cling to Christ. You must be the one to work if this is to happen. And so we not only ask for you to work, but we plead and beg you to work because without your spirit, we are hopeless. Work these things in our midst that we may glorify Christ and that we may be united with him when he returns. We pray these things for his name's sake. Amen.